All right, people, uh, welcome to Bible study. Yay, we are glad you're here and present and accounted for. You didn't take roll call? We'll do that afterwards. Okay. Thank you. Okay, you can check her off. Thank you. All righty. So, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're going to pray and get started. Uh, and uh, again, welcome. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you, God, for looking out for us, for protecting us. God, we thank you that uh, we have one that we can run to uh, whenever we need to, whenever we feel we need to. You're there. And so, God, I thank you for your presence, and I thank you for your comforts, and I thank you, Lord God, that you are always with us and you're super close to us. And so tonight I ask you to really lead us and guide us. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. You're really here, and we welcome you really here, and we ask that you would teach us, and we ask, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds and, and open us up, God, to your truth, we ask tonight. I pray, God, for changing us, change in the way we see something, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we see you. Just ask you, Father, that you'd have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to open up to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 is where we'll be looking tonight. I have a quick announcement to make. I'd mentioned this last week, but uh, we have a, a new little feature for Bible study, and we have it for a month, and we'll see if we use it. But what it is is a web page that you can go to, and there's a little icon there that you can click on. And if you have a question, and I know we're all really here, but this is mainly for the benefit of the people that aren't here that listen to what we're talking about online. But uh, you can go to this web page, you can click on an icon, and you can ask a question. It's like a voicemail. You just leave a message uh, there. And so what will happen is, is if someone leaves a message, it's a legitimate question. By legitimate, I mean phrased in the form of a question like on Jeopardy. And it's something that seems like something somebody really wants to know. Uh, I will play that during Bible study and answer it. And that way people that aren't here can kind of be a part of what we're doing and interact and really be a little bit closer to what's going on here. So how do you do it? You do it this way. You go to www.speakpipe. S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. And it's all small letters, all one word, Monday Night Bible Study. And you'll get to, you'll see our icon for Monday Night Bible Study. If you don't know what our icon is, it's a picture of Lily, the dog. And that's our official mascot of Monday Night Bible Study. And so if you see Lily, the dog, then you know you're in the right place. You can click on the button and just leave a question. We'd love to hear from you. So that is a new feature. So 1 Timothy 1.15. Anybody like to read that for us? All right. Thanks for reading that. Yes, Don. Appreciate your honesty there. 
Yeah, well, well, that's that's the case, right? And uh, I think we're all up for being the worst, <laughs> but uh, whoever the worst is is the worst, and who knows? But there's an interesting verse there because what you have here is you have the gospel in the small. I right, see it's like a small little verse there, one verse, First Timothy one fifteen, and that's the gospel. It tells you a lot about Jesus. It tells you a lot about the gospel. It tells you a lot about us, about you and about me. And so there's a lot contained in that verse. And it, there's a language that's used here that's a formula. If you read the beginning of it, here's a, a trustworthy saying, something worthy of full acceptance. That's a formula that you see in several places in the pastoral epistles. If you want to look at the other ones, I can give you the verses for them. Uh, I wasn't going to go and read through all of those tonight, but if you are interested in that, you can do so. Uh, you can find them in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11, and Titus 3.8. And those are some other areas, some other times where that kind of language is used. You want me to read those again? Is anybody taking those? Okay. It's uh, 1 Timothy 3.1. 1 Timothy 4.9, 2 Timothy 2.11, and Titus 3.8. And you see the same language used in each one of those. And they say something slightly different than this does, but these were nuggets that you find through the New Testament, especially in these writings of Paul, that he is condensing truths so that they're easy to digest, easy to remember, and easy to understand. And there's a real art in condensing things. Because a lot of times when you try to condense something, it loses its meaning. Or you add something or you take away something that alters what it actually means. But we don't see that here. We see Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, able to condense so what, what most people would consider to be relatively, and, and I'm trying to use this word complex, but I don't really see it as complex, but they're huge. They're big truths that are being condensed down into a form that you can easily remember, you can easily repeat, and that we can all understand. And so 1 Timothy 1.15, what we're looking at, is one of those formulas. It's one of those, it's one of those things that, he condenses down, and he just says it just flat out. This is what this is, and this is a trustworthy saying. In other words, this is something that you, that I, should trust because it's 100% reliable. And so the, the simplicity of that is Paul is saying, here's something you can trust. Well, why should we trust it? All right. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to tell you a story. This past winter, I was up in the Adirondacks, and I do a lot of winter hiking. And so I was out, and it was a particularly warmer day uh, for hiking up there. It was probably in the 30s. And so when things get up in the 30s, things start to melt a little bit, and the snow clumps up a little bit. It was a sunny day. And as part of the hiking, we had to cross over a river. Now, 
oftentimes, and this happens a lot, the bridge was out. Now that happens for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one reason is during the springtime when everything melts, it could be big chunks of ice come down and they just wipe the bridge out or it could be the water is rushing so fast in the springtime it just wipes the bridge out. And so there are a number of places on the trails that I hike where you can see they have everything there for the bridge except for the part that goes across the river. All right, but everything else is there. Like on each side, you got everything you need, but not in the middle. So it would cross on the ice. And rivers can freeze, and they do freeze. And so if we look at it, and you, you say, well, all right, well, you're going to cross on the ice. You kind of look for spots that may have rocks, if you can tell. A lot of times you can't tell where the rocks are. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. So if you can go along where the rocks are, you feel a little bit better about that. But sometimes... You're going across, and it's just flat. And you take a step out there, and you hear a cracking sound. All right? And you got to make a decision at that point. I've come this far. Am I going to keep going, or am I going to turn back, or am I going to try to walk up and down the river somewhere and try to figure out another place to cross where I feel more comfortable? What am I going to do? Right. This particular day, we walked up, and there were two guys standing at the river. And they had, like, the fanciest equipment. I mean, as far as, like, top-of-the-line snowshoes, top-of-the-line gear. They had all this fancy stuff, and they're standing on the side of the river, and they're looking at it. And they're like, hey, what's up? Uh, we're just thinking about the river. Well, what are you thinking? Uh, I don't know. Just thinking about it. Seems like a warm day. Yep. We don't know how strong the ice is. Nope. Did you try to cross? No. No. Uh, okay. So the guy I was with, he weighs uh, probably 40, 50 pounds less than I do. And so he said, well, okay. So, and... Not to mention the guy's like 74 years old, okay? He just steps out onto it and walks across it. All right. Looks good to me. So I get out on it and I walk across it. So I look back and those two guys are still standing there. Right. It was good. It's good. Well, I don't know. <laughs> No, we just went across, man. It's okay. It's good. I don't know. Well, why don't we look around, see what else we can find? And, and they're talking, talking, talking. Like, see ya. Never saw him again that day, which means that they turned back and left, or died horrible deaths in the river. <laughs> Either way, I didn't see him. And so I want you to think about why can you trust what Paul is saying? Well, number one, and I'm going to start with this reason, and there'll be another reason that comes along later. But number one, uh, he, he's part of it. All right? In other words, as he says later on, he's a sinner. Not only is he a sinner, he's the chief of sinners, or he's a sinner. Number one, 
He is the number one sinner in the world. Number one. Number one sinner. International champion of sinning. Paul. And he applied the principle to his own life that he speaks here through this passage. He applies the fact that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus came and that he died for sinners. He came that sinners might have salvation. He came that sinners might live free. He came that they might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. He applied that to his life and he's saved. And he's living good. And so he says to everybody, you can trust that one. Right, so the first reason that we can trust this, the first reason that we can proclaim that this is reliable is that the guy who's writing it has applied it to his life and it worked. He crossed. He left footprints. And he said, follow me. And I suppose we can stand there and do whatever those other guys were doing, which I have no idea, and we'll never see them again. Or we can take a step out in the same footprints that we just saw cross over there, and we can walk across, and we can benefit from what they've already done. You following me? You see, the simplicity of the statement and the simplicity of the formula that he uses is important here because it's something that he himself has already applied to his life. Now you can add to that 2,000 years worth of people applying this to their lives and it working. In other words, Paul may be writing first and foremost about himself, of which he is number one worldwide, number one sinner, and it worked for him, but then there were generations and have been generations that have come after Paul. The generations and the churches that he was writing to, Timothy and the church that he was overseeing, and then the other churches that received this letter, and the many generations that have come after them and through them, and the generations that have led up to us for whom it has worked time and time and time again over the last 2,000 years. It's reliable. It is a reliable saying. Now, why am I harping on this? Why do you think I'm harping on this? If it is this simple, what's the problem? What is the problem? What stands in the way of people, anybody, reading this and saying, Oh, I'm forgiven. I'm saved. What stands in the way of that? It could be pride. The accuser, what's the accuser saying? Did, did God really say, are you worthy of that? Uh, you're Well, not me, I'm terrible. That kind of thing, right? Why am I harping on this? Because the guy who wrote it says it's good. And for 2,000 years, generations of people have said it's good. It's going to be good for you. All right? 
It's going to be good for you. And that's just a fact. You take things for granted with less proof than this every single day. You entrust your life to things with less proof than this every single day. And if you didn't, you'd never leave the house. But you do. We all do. We make a leap based on less evidence than this every single day of our lives. And yet when it comes down to God can save me, God died for me, God gives me life, somehow we're the worst thing that ever happened. Well, Paul already said he's number one. So you're at best number two. He's the chief. He's the chief. Maybe you're a scout or a brave, but he's the chief. All right? So it worked for him. It'll work for you. So it's reliable. And so therefore, based on that, you and I should accept it completely, according to what the Bible verse says. We should accept this completely. And what would that mean? Well, there's two parts to that, the word that's being used by completely. The, the first part is that it's universal. In other words, it's for everyone, that no one is left out. The other part of that is it is good for you through your whole being. It is completely good. In other words, there's no part of you that God has not taken into account already when he made the statement that he can set you free and save you. I don't care what you've done. He has it figured out. And he's already taken it into account. So you can believe this, and you should accept this completely. It is fit for each and every single one of us. Just totally and completely fit. And so in the deep parts of us, whatever those parts are, whatever you call in your bowels, in your deep places, however you choose to think of the, the dank, dark, deep places of your existence, this is where we need to come down to, even into those places, to accept this as a fact. Because what this will do in your life is disarm the devil. And you need, I need, we need to disarm the devil in our lives. Many years ago, I settled some things in my mind and in my heart about how God sees me. Settled them. And I mean I settled them. And I, you know, that took into account, this is who I really am. This is, these are the things I really do. This is a problem I really have. These are issues I'm really dealing with. This is unforgiveness I really have in my heart. These are anger issues I'm really trying to work through. All of those things. And they were just really me. It's really who I am. And I settled the issue with it. I settled the issue that God loves me. I settled the issue that God forgives me. I settled the issue that God has given me salvation. I settled those issues in my life. And don't you know that the devil every now and then will still come after me. He's easy to dispatch, but he still comes. He was just around the other day. When I was on my way back from Northern Ireland, he was around, and he was just whispering things to me. But he was easy to dispatch. Why? Because I've settled this. I've settled it. 
I mean, it's like when you begin to settle facts in your life about things. I mean, like the devil, he doesn't come to me and whisper to me that the world is flat, okay? I settled that issue. It's round. I'm okay with that. Or mostly round. I'm good with that. He's not whispering in my ear, it's flat. <laughs> and if he did, I'll just dispatch him like, it's round. <laughs> Duh. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know there's people out there. I, I, I get it on my Twitter feed. Famous people believe the earth is flat. I know that. I know. I know. That's why it was in my head, I think. I'm not falling for that, though. You don't, you don't have to fall for it. I said it's mostly round. Okay, it's mostly round, right? You don't have to fall for that. Don't, don't believe it when the devil comes and tells you the earth is flat. No, no. It's more round than it is flat. You tell him. Well, I want you to do that same thing, how ridiculous that sounds just then. Do the same thing in your spiritual life. Settle the issue. Settle it. Settle it. God loves you. Settle it. God forgives you. Settle it. Jesus has died for you, that he loves you, that he likes you. Settle it. So when the devil comes back and whispers it, it's ridiculous. Stop it. Get it settled in your heart and in the deep places of your spirit. Deep, deep, deep in your bowels, whatever. Get it settled. Because that fight, that argument is just tiresome. It's tiresome for you. And it's tiresome for everyone who cares about you. It's tiresome. Anybody that loves you and cares about you, yeah, it just wear them out as much as it wears you out, probably. All right? We've got to get it settled. It's like somebody has a cure for a disease you have. I mean, a real cure. And, and I, I just use this as a different illustration, but if you think about it, you got a disease, right? And you, you, you watch and you see somebody and, or you hear about them on the news that they tried this new drug and it cured that person of the same disease you have. Wouldn't that get you thinking about it? And if you're desperate enough, wouldn't you want to try it? Well, then what happens if it's two people that get cured or three or ten? What if a hundred people have tried it and they've all been cured? What about a thousand people? What about a thousand people have tried it and they're cured? Ten thousand people. What about a million people that have tried it and been cured? How convinced are you then? You really need to do this, right? What? Right, right, right. But I think I think my perspective <laughs> is in a totally different place now. And um, I just, you know, God's word says that, you know, He's our floor. I mean, people are just where I start with. Like, and I think that I just would, you know, even if it took me to the grave, I think I'm not going to let go of that. Well, Convinced that they're sick and there's something wrong with them because 
running after something like you boosted. Well, I'm thinking more in terms of like, let's say you had like, uh, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I've been around people who have had cancer. In my experience of people that have cancer, they will do anything. Anything. And and, and I'm not talking about just unbelievers. I'm talking about... Why, though? They have a lot of fear attached to them. There's a desperation, yeah. And there's a, there's a fear that will lead them to try anything. But legitimately, if you had a disease and there is a legitimate cure for it, would you take it? Yeah. I mean, I, I would. If it was there. Well... Well, I mean, I think that there's things that have been figured out over the years that keep us safe now, already. You know, we were, most of us were vaccinated when we were kids. We, you know, get, we were fed certain uh, viruses to build up our immunity to them and all that kind of stuff. So, I, I don't know. I, I just really believe that if there is a solution, let's take it. Now, this this here is what I'm saying, the solution is Jesus. The solution is believing what he said. The solution is the gospel. The solution is the truth here. And if generations of people have applied this truth to their lives, then I think we'd be foolish not to avail ourselves of this truth. Can God save you? Yes. Has Jesus done enough to save even you? Yes. That's the truth. That is the truth. And so we need to take hold of that or at least test it. I would say just take hold of it. Now what do I mean by testing it? Back to my illustration across in the river. What what happened? Somebody went ahead. Yep. And then probably the heaviest guy. Yep. And and I tested it, right? While I was trying it. <laughs> I mean, and then but you know what? Coming back, it'd been warm all day, and it was later in the day. I didn't even hesitate. Just walked right across. Why? Because I'd been across it already. I don't know where they went. <laughs> I, I, I seriously don't know where they went. All right. So as you read this verse, it says this is a saying worthy of full acceptance, reliable, you know, all that stuff. Now, then it, then it says Christ Jesus. Does your Bible say Christ Jesus? Yeah, that's, that's what it says. All right. That's not a mistake. Um, that's not last name first. Or anything, as some might suppose, for Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Uh, it's two things. There's two important parts of that that I think, again, this is being condensed, right? This is all being condensed. So there's some meaning to just about every part of it. So what does he condense here? Well, he condenses down Christ. 
Anybody know what Christ means? Anointed one, right. So, uh, it, it describes him being anointed. Somebody look at Acts 10.38. If you don't know it by heart. If you do know it by heart, you can say it. If not, just read it. Acts 10.38. That's close. It starts off with how God anointed, and then what you were saying. Go ahead. All right. Important part about that verse. There's there's one main idea in that verse is super important, and I'll just give a, a, just a short background of where this verse came from in my life. Uh, and you've heard it before, some of you, some of you not so much, but it was in a Sunday school class. I was in Sunday school. I was an adult in Sunday school. There was an old guy teaching, and I never knew his, I know his first name, but I never called him by his first name. He was always Brother Boss. And that was his real name, Boss, B-O-S-S, man, Brother Boss. He was teaching, and uh, or somebody was teaching, and he, he, but he got up and he taught a little bit of what he wanted to say, and he used this verse because somebody asked the question, "How did Jesus do the miracles he did?" and and what they were looking for was well because he was God, and Brother Boss, who had been around a long time, he's probably in his eighties, and he'd been around a long time, man. The guy had uh, been to Bible school, but he never pastored he never felt like god called him to do that he uh, worked as a school janitor i think or something and he sold red wing shoes out of his house but uh real nice guy knew the scriptures and he just just put the squash on that you know that question because they're they're like well this guy now he says x 10 38 and they're like well brother boss what's x 10 38 said how god anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. He's like, he did the miracles he did by the anointing of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That ended the discussion. Because he talked about it for a little while, but that really ended the discussion. And the idea behind that is, is that Jesus, when he said, you've seen the miracles I've done, you can do, you'll do even greater. Well, if he did the miracles he did because he was God, we have no hope of doing greater miracles. Zero. We're not God. No offense to anybody who thinks they are, we're just not. We're just not. But we are anointed with the Holy Spirit. We are anointed with power. And the Holy Spirit is with us. So we have the opportunity, we have the potential to go out and to do those same types of miracles that Jesus did. So when we read about him doing those miracles, there's a prayer in me. It's like, yeah, God, use me. We read the, the miracles that the apostles were doing through the early church. Yeah, God, use me. Uh, we're reading about some of the miracles that took place in the Old Testament that the prophets were doing. Yeah, God, use me. Read the Bible with a with a it's like a call to faith. You read the Bible, it's a 
It, it's just like a call for us to action, to see those kind of things happen through our lives and through who we are. And so when, when it talks about Christ Jesus, in other words, the anointed one, the one who had been empowered by the Holy Spirit, the one who had been anointed by that same Holy Spirit who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him, Christ, the Messiah, the one who was prophesied of, the one who was called, the one who was anointed, the one who was empowered. And then you see his other name, Jesus. Who's Jesus? Jesus is a common name. Yeah, it's a common name. Christ is the man too. But Jesus points to more the common name. It's Joshua. All right? That's what we would call him now, unless we were Spanish. And then we might still call him Jesus. But the Spanish, I think, are the only ones that do that. I think everybody else has moved on to Joshua or some derivative of it. All right? But it's the same name. And so there were other Jesuses at the time when Jesus was born. He wasn't the only Jesus. There were other Jesuses in the early church. There were Jesuses that were part of the early church. Jesus taught in the early church. Jesuses that were part of the early ministry of the church. So Jesus was a common name. It, did, it was just that. That doesn't distinguish him. What that does is that says that's the, that's the child that was born in Bethlehem. That's who that is. That's the child that was the son of Mary and supposedly Joseph. That's the carpenter's son. That's the, that's the, the boy that was left at the temple or stayed at the temple and had to, had to come back for him. That was, that was Jesus who everybody knew and they knew his brothers and they knew his sisters. And he probably knew a trade and worked in a trade. I mean, he was 30 years old when he started his ministry. He did something. So up until that time, I mean, yeah, they were considered adults a lot sooner than we were. He was not reaching adulthood at 30, as we do now, some of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so he had you know, been living as an adult for a while. There's Jesus. See, Christ Jesus, he's anointed of the Holy Spirit, and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. And so it speaks to both sides of that. It speaks to a real humanity side, but it also speaks to a real anointed side of who he was. Mm hmm. Yes. Well, what's the what's the difference? <laughs> All right. Well, yes, but then he makes a statement. What's the next statement he made? That Christ Jesus what? What's the next part of that verse? came into the world. Where did he come from? 
He came into the world. Okay, so there was a so we have two things there. There is his natural birth. You know, we say we use that euphemistically that we came into the world on such and such a day. Well, actually, we were in the world before that. We were in our mama's belly. Not to ruin that for anybody. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, that's where we, you know, we were in the world already. I mean, if you've ever been carried a child, which I haven't, uh, they're, they're kind of kicking and moving around and reacting to things before they're born. So they're definitely alive, they're definitely aware, and they're definitely moving around a lot. All right, and they're pushing right on your bladder, and yeah, yeah, so whatever. So it, it, it begins to, to, to speak to a question, or, or not a question, but begins to speak to the preexistence of the Word of God. Because the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, that Word always existed. There was a preexistence to it. Some verses, if you want to look them up, there's John 16, 28, John 17, 5. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. 1, 3, and 4. John 6, 28. And John 17, 5. And Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. So what you're saying, Dave, is correct. The emphasis here is on the anointed man. The emphasis here is on the one who understands us, who is sympathetic to us who has lived as we live, who is tempted as, as we are, yet without sin, the one who understands us, who is sympathetic, who is even, in some ways, many ways, empathetic to who we are. Not to discount, though, his preexistence and his divinity. All in this little verse. And so it says he, the reason he came was to save sinners. Now, that's pretty broad, inclusive. That statement is. It's broad and inclusive. It's beyond race. It's beyond time. It's beyond nationality. And it is, by nature, universal. He came to save sinners. Sinners. We don't like that word, do we? kind of a, a mean word for some people, I think. I think it's a good descriptor, though, because all it does is say that we were and have been in rebellion against God. And that's just how it is. And so I, I, I think that even if you look all the way back to Ad, the original Adam, uh, no offense, Adam, but the original Adam... <laughs> See, I'm being careful not to offend anyone tonight. I don't know if you noticed that. But back, back to the original Adam. And he messed up. He made a bad decision, bad call. And he and Eve rebelled. They sinned. They disobeyed. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And then they were cursed. And so mankind lived under that curse. So I, I think that as you look at that and you consider what that curse meant was that there, we, I mean, we've all been in the same boat for a long time, at least up until Jesus. 
that there was no other boat to be in. Man, as at the very root of who he is, was cursed, and he went about in rebellion against God. That's just the way it was. The ground was cursed, childbearing, your desire shall be for your husband, all those things. Live by the sweat of your brow. You know what I'm talking about here? I don't want to get through all the curses. I'm just saying that there's a curse. And they lived under this curse. And, and that's what mankind lived under. Humankind. Whatever. So when Jesus appeared, he when Christ Jesus appeared, he was to save sinners. Who are sinners? Everybody. 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 How do you crawl out from under God's curse? You don't. How do you hide from it? You don't. How do you run away from it? You don't. You have to be set free from it by God, which is what he did. He set us free. If you can accept it. How many Christians I know still living under the same curses? Lots. Lots. Never even thought about it. Never even thought about the fact that Jesus came to save them. Not only that, what was salvation? Well, salvation involves a lot of things. It involves healing. It involves deliverance. It involves forgiveness. It involves the grace of God over someone's life. It involves a lot of things. But one of the things that we have been saved from, one of the things we've been set free from, are those curses that were over Adam and Eve. If you'll believe it. Can you accept it? Can you receive it? Because you don't have to live that way. You've been set free. Jesus said, and, and that's the importance of Jesus being the second Adam. Feel good about this one. That Jesus, as the second Adam, he did it right. And all that that had, had happened and all that that had been done, because Jesus did it right, we've been set free from. That whole thing about being born again, that's what it's all about. Being born of water and of the Spirit, that's what that's all about, is being set free from the curse of our ancestors. We don't have to live that way. So we can all live perfectly, right? Well, we don't. The question is, can we? Jesus could. We just don't. Does that make us worse? Nope. Does it make us better? Nope. We're just in that state. We're in the state we're in. It's the truth of the matter. It's who we are. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just who we are. We don't have to live under the curse. I remember when June was pregnant with Garrett, our firstborn. And that was one of the things that we prayed about from the very beginning. I remember going to Lamaze class. You know, you learn how to breathe. You have to have a partner. And I was the partner. <laughs> 
Yeah. You have to have a plan and stuff, you know. But I remember sitting there, and we were on the way home, and I'm like, hey, June. She's like, well, I'm like, forget that pain stuff, that multiplied pain stuff. I We've been set free from that. Set free. And I remember just, just, you know, us talking about that over and over again while she was pregnant with him. That we don't have to live that way anymore. Being set free from living by the sweat of your brow. Being set free from the ground being cursed. Man. We don't have to live that way. Now I'm not going to tell you it didn't hurt. Because I don't have any idea. I really don't. But she'll tell you if you ask her that pain was not multiplied. She'll tell you that. And whether it hurt or it didn't or whatever happened, you know, that curse has been broken. So the reason he came was to, and, and he appeared so he could save sinners. Well, who's that? Well, that's all of us. That's all of us. And that joins us together, too. And you got to remember that when you look at somebody else. Because aren't we taught to 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 make the best presentation we can of what's going on in our lives. I mean, most of the time. You know, a stiff upper lip. Put a smile on your face. Those kind of things. I mean, that's what I was taught. You got a problem, keep it to yourself. Right? We're all taught those things. and it, But what happens is, is that it, it creates this fake world of people that look like they're doing okay when we're all really joined together as sinners. Every one of us, we, we are commonly joined as sinners together by choice. And every one of us makes that choice, and we're part of it by choice. And you can feel bad and say, well, if it's by choice, then why should he forgive me? Good thing you're not making the decisions around here, okay? That's all I can tell you. He forgives you because he wants to. He forgives you because he says he will. He forgives you because his grace and his mercy is that big. And you don't have to pretend. You don't. The truth of the matter is, is that his grace and mercy are that big. And he does it because he wants to. And the other truth of the matter is that each one of us is joined together because each one of us has sin. Not because it's involuntary, but because we choose it. And that joins every single one of us together. We have it all in common. Every single one of us. That's what makes it hard to judge people. Oh, look at that guy over there. Look what he's doing. Well, yeah, what did you decide to do today? <laughs> you know? I mean, it just makes it really... I mean, people still do it. Don't get me wrong. People still judge other people. But it really makes it hard to judge other people if you're living in some, in some degree of truth for your life. Some degree of honesty, where you're actually looking at yourself for who you really are and realizing that we're all in this, this boat together and we're connected that way. So Jesus, he appeared to save sinners. Who's that? All of us. That we're all joined and he's saving us. Good. Because the bottom line is, is that we need to own this. That's what Paul did at the end there. See, he owned it. 
He owned this statement. Jesus, Christ Jesus, he, he appeared on the earth. He came to the earth to save sinners. How did he own it? I'm number one. I'm number one. He owned it. So who are the sinners? Those people out there? No, he was. Did he call anybody else a sinner in this, in this verse? No. Who did he call the sinner? Himself. He owned it. I own that. Chief of sinners. Number one. Worldwide. Number one. Chief of sinners. That's what he owned it. So we know our own sins. How do we know our own sins? How do you know your own sins? How do you know that you have a weakness somewhere in your life? And by weakness, I mean sin. How do you know that you have a sin somewhere in your life? Let's say you have a problem with anger. How do you know that? You get angry, so it's your experience, isn't it? So by your experience, what if you have a, a, let's say you have a, a, a issue with um, uh, lying. You have an issue with lying. How do you know that you have an issue with lying? You're a liar, okay? You keep lying. <laughs> it's your experience that tells you that. All right, what if it's something other people maybe can't see as easily, like lust or something, uh, unless you're like a total, you know, weirdo. But let's say, let's say you have a problem with lust, but nobody else knows about it. How do you know you have a problem with lust? Because you keep lusting. Right. You're a luster. <laughs> what? <laughs> so how did Paul know he was a sinner? Why do you say he was the chief of sinners? And I'm not talking about these things. How did he know he was the chief of sinners? Why would he say that? How did he own this? What was his experience that told him that by himself? That you know about Paul. He was persecuting Christians. He opposed Jesus. He opposed him. He opposed the teachings of Jesus. He opposed Jesus' work, his miracles, his signs, his wonders. He opposed the gospel. He opposed the servants. In fact, he was consenting to the death of Christians. We know that. And so it was his experience that told him that he was a sinner. He had a bitter hatred and was an enemy of Jesus. How do you know that? Because he experienced, he lived through it. He knew that. He knew it. In fact, it took a special revelation and for Jesus to specially show up to get Paul to convert. Paul would not have converted that we know of by any normal means. And so it took a special dispensation of Jesus showing up in person for him to convert. That's how messed up he was. So, is that humility? Or is that honesty? Or are they kind of congruent here? What would you say? Yeah, they're intertwined. They're kind of it's kind of the same thing. Not exactly. But isn't that true for all of us? That it, true humility has got to manifest in our life as honesty somehow. Cuz where does pride come from? 
Pride's not the truth. <laughs> okay? Pride is a distorted view that you keep of yourself so that you can feel good about something. But it's not the truth. Because we normally exaggerate to the good in our lives. We normally do. Because that's what we were taught to do. And somehow, we need to stop it. And just be honest. Because in God's eyes, it's okay. It's okay. He loves you. He forgives you. He cares for you. He's come into the world to save you. Honestly. Not your projected self. Not your... Uh, ideal self not your fantasy self but really you really you because self-deception is strong in us and I say that us because it's strong in us not just in you so we need to fight it we need to fight it and just be who we are Honestly, how do you know you have a problem with greed? Because you're greedy. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's not, it, you don't have to be, um, I heard this the other day, somebody said this in a show or something on television. You don't have, anybody here know who Columbo is? He was like that got Peter Falk. He was a detective. You don't have to be Columbo to figure this one out. And no, he didn't discover America. Okay, this isn't the same guy. Okay, somebody look at John 16, 8. And that's where we'll end up tonight. John 16, 8. All right. Now, a lot of people take that verse. That's talking about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, John sixteen eight, and and a lot of people take that. It's a verse specifically about the Comforter when the Comforter comes, the Holy Spirit comes, and and this is talking about, as far as I'm concerned, this is talking about the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's being poured out, and subsequent to that, the Holy Spirit being poured out on people. But it, it says that Jesus says that when the Comforter comes. He's going to prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and whatever else it says there. But what I want you to get out of that is people will take that verse and they'll say, well, that's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to disagree with that because that's not what it really says. Because what it really says is that there's a bigger more universal issue going on here than whether or not you have a problem with gluttony or you have a problem with lust or you have a problem with lying or you have a problem with greed or whatever that is. Because you know what? Every single one of those things, all you got to do is just look at your life and you know if you have a problem with that. It does not take a detective. 
You do not need the detective of the Holy Spirit to figure out if you're a liar. All right? You don't. You don't need that. You don't need the detective of the Holy Spirit to figure out if you have a lust problem in your life. You probably already know. And I don't see that verse talking about that. I don't think the problem is, is that we don't know. I think the problem is, is that we need something to do about it. And that's Jesus. And the reality of it is, if, if we had been taught that from the time we were little kids until now, that if we will confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive us, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He loves us so much. His mercy and his grace are bigger than we can ever know. And if we knew that from the time we were little kids until now, we wouldn't have been hiding it all these years. We wouldn't have been lying to ourselves about it, and we wouldn't have been trying to cover it up. We'd know it's okay to just be who we are. And God loves us. And he'll bring change into our life. He brought salvation already. He brought life already. He, he's bringing forgiveness and grace. He's pouring out his love to us. If we'd have really believed that from the time we were little kids, we, we wouldn't need to fake it. It would never be a reason. And I believe that's part of the work of the comforter is to teach us that it's okay. Because what we thought about sin was wrong, and what we think about righteousness is wrong. And the Comforter wants to teach us the truth. Christ Jesus appeared to save sinners. And the day you can own that, I mean, really own it, is the day you get free. That's the day you get free. And you can stay free. And when the accuser comes, you can dispatch him quickly. You can live in the love that God has for you to live in, the grace, the mercy that he has for you to live in. You can live in, in, in all of the peace that he has for you. On that day that you can own that, you realize that there's nothing to strive for. There's nothing to fake it about. There's nothing to try and impress anybody about. There's nothing to hide from Jesus, from God, or, or whatever. There's no reason. And you get free. If we have anything in our life, anything, that's going to hinder us the most is the lack of faith. Just believe in a simple truth. Just accepting a simple truth. I mean, how long can you stand on the shore and be like, well, let me go look for another way across the river? How long? Another hour before you turn back and go the way you came? Are you going to take a leap of faith and take a walk across something that other people have already walked across? And it works just fine. It's up to you.
All right, I can take one or two questions because we're about out of time, but I do want to give you an opportunity if anybody has anything they want to say or a question you might have. Anything? Uh, well, I think certainly the the devil was at play in deception. I think the devil was at play in the reactions of people toward Jesus specifically. Uh, I think that uh, we we see even the reaction towards Stephen when he was stoned to death. Uh, you just see behavior that I I don't know I would consider that to be demonic in more than one occasion. And I think that any destruction that the devil could bring on the work that Jesus and through his apostles were establishing, you see happening. In other words, persecution came. It just, they were resisted. They were thrown in jail. They were let out of jail. They were thrown in jail. They were let out of jail. They were arrested. They were let go. I mean, they were definitely, there were there was more at play than just political forces. Right. Well, and I think that's part of the that important part of the word we're talking about here is that yeah, absolutely. And if he walked this path, and this has worked for him, what's holding you back? I would have to believe that he had to reach a point where he just knew. Because somehow he he was able to live a different life. Even in the faith. You know, he saw people that knew him. And there were people that were part of the church that were afraid of him because of who he was. So I couldn't imagine it would be that easy to do what he did if he didn't have some kind of an assurance about who he was.
Mm-hmm. Right. That's when we, we just need to dispatch the devil. Like, I've already owned that. I'm a sinner. I own that. And that links me with every other human being on the face of the earth. Provision has been made for that. And I accept the provision. And it's, it's been working for 2,000 years for people. Countless millions of people. It's going to hold for me. Ghost peppers. Yeah, don't believe in them. <laughs> ghost peppers uh well now this is a funny thing i'll go eat at a restaurant where i eat sometimes on fridays and i will order chicken wings grilled chicken wings in ghost pepper sauce and they do come with some type of a pepper sauce on them that i'll eat That's as far as I'll go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tried to grow a ghost pepper. You know. Yeah. Yeah. A little sprout came up, but no ghost pepper. There, there, I may not, maybe I couldn't see the pepper on it. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. See, I should be able to see that. I just can see it. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. <laughs> nope, don't believe in them. Okay, let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, loving us, and we thank you for the provision that you made for our lives. I just want to say thanks for your salvation tonight, and I thank you that it's not this complicated thing, but as it's condensed down, as the Apostle Paul condensed that down, into these few words. Man, there's a lot of truth in that. And so I pray that we'll let that sink in. We'll let that just become a part of who we are. I pray that your word can settle some things in our heart, settle some things in our life. And I pray, Father, that we would be able to, as these things are settled, to dispatch the accuser of the brethren quickly from our lives with his condemnation and his accusations over us. I pray, Father, that as we settle these things, that that would not stand in the way or no longer stand in the way of intimacy with you, of being close to you, of finding ourselves in your presence. So, God, tonight, I, I just thank you for your clear word. I ask, God, that we would apply it directly to our situation, directly to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming out tonight.
God bless you. We'll see you soon.